Hello and welcome to this podcast at the beginning of September 2017 for the International Association of Arson Investigators and CFITrainer.net. I'm Rod Ammon. Some really good news I think I'll start off the podcast with today. We just found out that the International Association of Arson Investigators was awarded a new AFG grant. The Assistance to Firefighters Grant Program from FEMA, which is the uh, grants that we are funded by at CFITrainer.net. That's the Fire Prevention and Safety Grants, again, from AFG with FEMA. So a thanks big time to the folks who spent the time reading the grants and scoring them and making a decision to once again fund CFI Trainer for the International Association of Arson Investigators and for all of you. And another important group of folks to be thankful for are the ones who donate their time. And this is a very, very important thing I think that is often forgotten. The experts um, that are around the International Association of Arson Investigators, all of the different people that are uh, tied to the network who act as content experts, uh, subject matter experts for the modules that we do. Well, with that, today we've got a special guest. About yeah, a couple weeks ago, I got a phone call or, or a text, I forget what it was, from John Jones, who was the gentleman who was our original boss, project manager for the International Association of Arson Investigators when CFITrainer.net started, and he had a whole lot to do with making it the way that it is. So uh, thanks to John for that. But uh, when he reached out to me, he told me about a book called American Fire. And I went over, you know, read it on the iPad, and uh, it was awesome. And made a couple of, sent out a couple emails and was lucky enough to get somebody to join us today. Monica Hesse, who is the writer of American Fire. It's a awesome read and very relevant to all of you who listen to CFITrainer.net uh, to our podcast. So with us today, Monica Hesse, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome that you're here, and I really enjoyed the book. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, so my day job, I'm a journalist for The Washington Post. I'm actually sitting in a conference room here at The Post talking you to, to you today. Um, and I've been there for about 10 years. And um, in my off time, I also write books. I've written three novels and, and this book that I'm here to talk with you about today, which came from a Washington Post story about a series of arsons in rural Virginia. Well, we appreciate the time that you're getting to spend with us today. So how did you make the decision to dig into this book? So um, when you're a feature writer like I am, uh, your, your life is like a series of panic and then excitement. And the panic comes when you finish a story and you don't know what's coming next. It's the worst place a journalist can be. But a couple of years ago, I was sent down to cover this really strange trial. And what had happened is that in a, a rural county in Virginia, over the course of five months, 86 buildings were burned down by arson. And when they caught the culprit, it was a man and a woman. They were doing it together. So I just kind of became enamored with this story and, and went down to cover it for the Post and thought it would take a couple of days and then just, just couldn't drop it. Three years later, it's book. It's an awesome book. You painted an incredible picture of the area. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the area and uh, what it was like? 
So for the people, for the listeners who are not familiar with Accomack County, it's a county on the eastern shore in Virginia, which means that it's not connected to the mainland at all. It's the tip of a, of a peninsula that's tacked on to the bottom of Maryland. So it's pretty isolated from the rest of the state. It's really rural. It's the kind of town where um, you can drive for 40 miles and go through only one stoplight. It's dark. There are gravel roads. And and in the daytime, it's beautiful. But in the night, it is really desolate, for lack of a better term. It's, it's really dark and kind of scary. And the history of this town is that uh, Accomack County 100 years ago was the, the richest rural county in all of America. And then over the course of the past 100 years, uh, the county has changed as American fortunes have changed, as, as farming has become less localized and shifted, um, as, as railroads have disappeared. And so what you were left with is this beautiful, isolated peninsula that used to be really wealthy but is now emptied of people and has hundreds and hundreds of abandoned buildings, which in 2012 started burning down. I've talked to a lot of different folks that get involved in fire investigation, and I'm, I'm one of them, too, that uh, was fascinated when I started to learn about this field. Tell us about the learning process and, and what your favorite part about the research was. So what I found really interesting, and to fire investigators listening, they'll think that this is so dumb, but it's something that, that average people just don't think about very much, which is how difficult it is to investigate an arson because the nature of a crime like um, like a murder is that there are there's blood spatter there might be bullet casings there might be fingerprints and the nature of an investigation of a fire is that so much of the evidence burns away so I, I gained such a deep appreciation for um, you know things like soot pattern analysis or, or V patterns or um, or, or things like that that I think that that, nor, that non-investigators just never think about. I spent several days with a man named Bobby Bailey, who's an investigator at the Virginia Fire Marshal Academy, and uh, I, I thought that I would interview him for an hour, and then like six hours later, he's taking me into the burn trailer and he's explaining how wood siding burns differently than um, than you know aluminum siding, and he's explaining how you have to pay attention to the wind direction and and how um, if there were windows open and how high the soot level is, and so getting to to follow along with him and getting in to sit in on some classes that he was teaching to inspire to aspiring investigators was completely fascinating. I was ready to be enrolled in the class by the end of my my days with him. It's great when you get somebody like that who's as passionate uh, about teaching as they are, uh, you know, in their job. And uh, were there other folks? I I hadn't talked to you about this, but there were some other folks probably that you worked with in the fire industry or fire investigation industry. Yeah, I, I interviewed the two the two main investigators who were who were working on these fires, and they were both based in Accomack County. A man named uh, Rob Barnes and a man named Glenn Neal. And then I also spent a lot of time with the firemen who were being called out every night, sometimes two or three times a night, to put out the fires. And and of course that was a really interesting dynamic because you have the firemen who whose job is to get the fires out as quickly as possible, and that's what they're trained to do. They, they want to get up and get out the fires. Um, and then you have the investigators who are trying to think about uh, preserving evidence and what needs to be 
kept intact and and not wanting a bunch of firemen to come and tramp all over a crime scene. So that was really interesting to to learn about the dynamics between those groups of people and how they were having to work together because obviously investigating a fire when it's the scene of an arson is different than when someone's house is burning down because they accidentally tipped over a candle. You mentioned uh, in the book Matt and the camera. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so one of my favorite characters is this man named Matt Hart, who is a, he works in real estate down in Accomack, and he's, he's just super involved in the community. He, um, since I, since I, the book has come out, he's become a city councilman. You know, he really, he, he volunteers a lot. He wants to do well. So he and some buddies started up this group that they called the Eastern Shore Arson Hunters, and they thought they were going to catch the arsonists. And one of my one of my favorite stories that he told me is that he and these friends got the idea that they were going to put up a camera at at an abandoned house that one of them knew the owner of. They were going to put up this camera and and see if they could catch the arsonist if he came to target the house. But once they got there, they put up their camera, they turned around, and they realized that there was already a camera there that this camera had been put up by law enforcement having the same idea that they did. And now the police camera, what they had caught was Matt and all of his friends tramping around the woods looking like arsonists. So I, I kind of, I loved that story because it just kind of shows the level of desperation and panic that the citizens were reaching and how they're, they're trying to be helpful and instead, you know, they just end up looking like crazy arsonists tramping around the woods. I hope I didn't do too much of a spoiler. The book's full of those kinds of, of uh, details, and, and I just loved it. I, I appreciate you sharing it. So uh, you talked about geographic profiling. What did you learn about? You know, so I, what I learned is that I, I was kind of familiar with geographic profiling in a way I hadn't realized. Um you know, I had, like a lot of folks, I've seen shows like um, like CSI or like Numbers, but you never know how much of that is, is real and how much of that is just, you know, TV magic that probably drives real investigators crazy because, uh, you know, because it doesn't work like that in the real world and it can't work like that in the real world. But I talked to, um, I talked to a geographic profiler, Isaac Van Patten, who explained... Um, that no, actually, some of the techniques that I found most most interesting are real and, and can be really used. So because this was an incident where there were so many, many fi- fires, it was an area that's rich for geographic profiling, which for lay people who might be listening and not know about this, if you have a bunch of crimes that have com- been committed and you can plot them out on a map, you can use a geographic algorithm to come up, or a mathematical algorithm, to come up with a way to figure out where the criminal might live or where, where he might work. But basically, the theory is that people have patterns, even if they're not aware of them, and an arsonist who, who believes that he is setting buildings on fire at random, or a burglar who believes that he is burgling houses at random, isn't really doing things in a random way. They're doing things in a way that can trace back to where they live. So learning about that was fascinating because 
as I said, when I would hear about something like that happening on, on a show like Numbers, I would think, oh, this is just good TV writing. But it just goes to show you that you can't make up more interesting things than, than are actually happening in, invest, in investigations. So um, I was thinking about, after we spoke the first time, about your exposure to the court system. And, you know, there are a lot of folks in the fire investigation field that, that may never even get in, into court. Um, so I thought it might be interesting for you to talk about what you learned in the court system um, as you watched this case go on. You know, what was, um, what was really fascinating to me, by the time the trials happened, I had been following this story so closely for a long time that 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 there wasn't a lot that happened in the courtroom that was surprising but what was surprising is how much um how little information the jurors had like like when i was thinking about if i was a juror just listening to the to the information that was presented uh how would i vote what would i think was happening and and it would have been a real struggle which 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 just goes to show if you are an investigator who's been asked to testify or a witness who's been asked to testify the entire breadth of your knowledge will will barely be touched on you'll have to consolidate months worth of what you know about a case or or about a person into you know a 45 minute testimony which which just knowing as much as i did about the case by the end seemed uh, seemed crazy and, and gave me such an appreciation for the, for the people who have to do it. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of learning that investigators and lawyers and everybody in this industry does to, to make testimony effective. So I'm sure they'll appreciate uh, your insight coming in from, from the angle that you did. Uh, you have a, a real hopeful message about rural America, uh, and, I, and I share it, and I, and I liked what you wrote. Could you talk a little bit about about your insight there? Yeah, so you know we we talk a lot about rural America the, these days and and sort of what what's happening in rural places and um, and if rural places are being left behind in the modern world. And you know I, I think we tend to look at places like Akamak in in one of two ways. We either sort of glorify them like that's the only real America that's left or we we denigrate them and sort of assume that everyone there you rides a tractor to school which honestly where I'm from a few people did ride tractors to school but what I ended up finding in Akamak was just such a a strong sense of of community and and this was a terrible this was a terrible series of events to happen in the town, but it brought out the best in almost everyone, which you got to see because the firemen would, um, you know, the, the firemen never had to pay for their dinners because if people saw the firemen out eating, they would, they would offer to pick up the check or people would bring over casseroles or brownies or, you know, Rice Krispie treats to the, fi- to the firehouses. Um, and you, you saw that happening in the sheriff's office too, you saw neighbors volunteering to watch each other's houses or really, um, really pulling together. So, so, so in that way, it was a, it was a real testament to the intimacy and the, and the neighborliness that exists, that exists in a, in a small rural place like that. And I was, I felt really lucky to get to watch that and, and get to try to write about it. 
It's a beautiful thing to see that happen, and it's great to hear you talk about it. Sounded to me like you were very, very well accepted by the fire uh, people in the fire service and law enforcement, and I'm guessing, uh, I think I think you talked about some federal agents as well that you had worked with. You want to tell us a little bit about your experience with them and, and uh, something you learned? Yeah, I, I mean, so but by the time I started writing this story, a lot of people in Accomack were really wary of me coming in. Um, the fires had 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 happened more than a year ago at that point, and they were they were exhausted. They were exhausted of reporters coming in and talking about it. They they didn't know me. They were um, you know, they were worried that um, this was going to make their town look bad. And I, I don't blame them at all for that. And it would have been completely within their rights to just say, you know, who are you to be trying to tell this story? Leave us alone. And instead, what happened is they were so they became so welcoming to me. The the fire department that I was spending time with let me sleep overnight in the firehouse and, and gave me a pager so that I could hear when they were going out on calls. You know, people invited me to uh, to potlucks, to sit with them at football games, to go to church with them. And, and anything that I got right in this book is because the people of Accomac knew that I couldn't tell their story without them and without them opening their homes and their notebooks and going back over old diary entries or old Facebook posts, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So so I, it really was, was their story that, that I was lucky enough to get to write. Well, I can imagine them having a lot of respect for you. After just the couple times that we've spoken, uh, I find your desire to do the job the way you do just, I don't want to say refreshing. It's beautiful. Um, you've got a real passion. Oh, that passion. means a lot. Thank you. And, and it comes through in, in your writing. I, I just, you know, there are things that I read and I go, eh, that's a nice story, you know, and then there, there are things that I read where I feel like, wow, this person loved this. Uh, and, and that came through in your writing. Uh, well, it's, it's an incredible place. It's an incredible town full of people. And, and in my job, usually I'm lucky enough to get to realize that almost every place has something incredible about it if you get to spend enough time. But you know, th- this place was really, um, I, I was really glad to get to know the folks there. You went back, didn't you? I, I did. I've been back. Uh, so while I was working on the book, I rented a house down there so that I could be down there for an extended period of time. Um, and then I would drive back for you know, shorter trips, three or four days or, or an afternoon to do an interview. Um, <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago, I, I went on a vacation and was trying to figure out where to go. And I found myself back on the eastern shore again, going to some of the coastal towns and spending time and hanging out because uh, it's like I said, it really is just a lovely place. I thought that was really cool. I just wanted to uh, to bring it up again and, and remind the people out there how welcome you made, uh, how welcome they made you feel. So before we wrap up, uh, I was wondering if there's anything that you would like to share, you know, as a journalist and as a writer uh, with the fire investigation community. Gosh, I mean, the biggest thing that I like to, to share with the fire investigation community is that, you know, journalists are aware that with every story we do, we're, we're often starting cold and we're trying to tell the story of people who know a lot more than us about the topics that we're writing about. So some of my um, 
some of my favorite emails that I've gotten since writing this book have been from um, have been from fire investigators and, and arson investigators who have given me feedback and who have said, you know, I really liked that you brought up this, and or it reminded me of this other case. Maybe you should look at this other case. And so the, them being willing to to kind of help me see what I got right, what I could have done better, and and help me keep learning. Those I love those emails. I forward them to my editor and my agent, and we all read them and talk about them. So I guess just a message to the fire investigators, if you, if you do read this book, journalists love to hear from subjects in general, and I'd love to hear from you in particular. My, uh, my email address is on my website, which is monicahesse.com, and um, look me up, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about your work and what you do. We're very grateful for your time. It's a beautiful book. And again, the book is American Fire. And uh, we've been speaking to Monica Hesse. Thanks again for your time, Monica. Thank you so much. And that wraps up this podcast for the month of September, this year of 2017. Our thoughts go out to all of those dealing with the floods and the fires across our country, both the responders and the public that are dealing with uh, incredibly trying times. For the International Association of Arson Investigators and CFITrainer.net, I'm Rod Ammon. Be well.